Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. I'm going to ask you guys to be uh, a little bit engaged this evening, okay? I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you guys, particularly in the first half, I'm going to do a bit, a bit of talking, but I'm hoping in the second half, you guys will do a little bit of talking because I need your help, right? I'm in something of a, a little bit of a, it's a very minor one, just a very, I'm in a little bit of a faith conundrum, okay? And it started earlier this week um, when I purchased these uh, new sneakers, all right? Uh, so those of you who know me a long time will know that uh, I have uh, basically a vice for two things. Um, it's pretty easy to tell what they are, uh, shoes and tattoos, okay? And there's a little rhyme there, and that's, that's cool. Um, but, uh, and so what happens is every year, uh, uh, Georgia has told me I'm not really like allowed to like spend our money on things like tattoos and, and shoes that much. It's like, you know, I've got to wait for like my birthday money and my Christmas money, you know, and then I have the, my money to spend my money on my things, you know? So I have this, uh, you know, twice a year I get to sort of look forward to, to a little bit of a splurge. And, um, and for me lately, uh, my, my kicks of choice have been the Vans Old School. Any Vans Old School fans out there? Man, you guys are so quiet. This is not boding well for like an interactive conversational evening. Any Vans old school enthusiasts out there? Yeah, there you go. John O'Devette and I bond over shoes all the time, right? Uh, it's good. Anyway, so they're the, kind of my flavor of the month. So Georgia was really good because she got me a pair of white ones for my birthday, which was awesome. And then I had a little bit of money in my bank account left over from my birthday money. And so I was like, man, I saw these sweet black ones. And um, I always go... Not that you guys really care, but I always spring for the pro model um, because they've got like a little like cushioned, uh, cushioned sole inside, just not the, normal, not the normal canvas thing. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, Jono. Anyway, that's all beside the point. Um, like most people, I do a lot of shopping online. Okay, so um, I ordered these shoes online and then, um, and, and so I did it, it was like first thing Monday morning, I ordered these shoes. And then I went to my email inbox and, uh, and uh, one of the emails that I get every week uh, is, is a daily sort of uh, reflection or meditation or, or prayer thing written by Richard Raw, um, who is a, a Franciscan uh, mystic, I guess. He runs like a, a, a center for, the Center for Action and Contemplation uh, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And so he, he just always sends out these really beautiful sort of thoughts for the day. And, um, and over the last two weeks, he has been doing, uh, doing a series on St. Francis. And uh, so this thing arrives into my inbox just right off the back of getting some sweet new shoes. And um, I was reading basically about St. Francis's embracing of poverty. Um, how uh, in his earnest desire to, to uh, faithfully pursue Jesus and to embody the life of Jesus in everything that he did, he saw the embracing of poverty as being of utmost importance. And I thought to myself, man, I love St. Francis. He's the man, you know, like, oh, it's my goal to be just like him. But uh, I became acutely aware in that moment of my participation in Western con consumerism, Right? is that I just, uh, I just so wanted to like, I'm very aware that I just, I like new things, right? 
I just, I, I, like, I like a new pair of shoes. I like, to, I, I like to get a new shirt. You know, I'm, I'm just very aware that just like most of us, we all get kind of sucked into this thing of like, yeah, we just, we just like new stuff. And everything that we're taught and everything we're told just says that we can sort of have. And if something breaks, it's like, well, we can just go get another one. Um, most of us now are actually pretty set in the cycle of getting a new phone every two years. And it's really convenient because the contract, they, they kind of lock you into a contract. And as the contract kind of rolls over, hey, it's time for a new one. And I don't know if like, I don't know, I'm, I'm a big Apple user. And, uh, you know, there's, there's another example, right? Um, but... I always get my, whenever I get my new Apple iPhone, I'm always, I'm always surprised at how similar it is, you know, to the one that went before. I'm like, you know, I, I get all excited, I turn it on, look at it, oh man, it's so sort of sleek, and I turn it on, and, and it just automatically has everything on it that my last one had, just because I log in, and, oh, and I'm, always, I'm always surprised, and I'm surprised that I'm surprised, you know? I don't, don't really know what I was expecting. <laughs> I knew I'd, they're all in the same order. And so anyway, so I found myself just in something of, a, of an internal dialogue this week as I have reflected on the life and ministry of St. Francis, who, who I, I deeply admire and, and really have a deep love for in terms of church history. And as I just sort of look at my own life, it's like I love, I love ministry. I love that so much of what I get to do in my job is I get to sit with people and I get to talk about life deeply. We get to discuss um, God and we talk about love and we talk about grace and all of these things that I'm just so for. Um, and so I feel like I, you know, I, I get to see the kingdom happening uh, uh, so much in my everyday life. And yet at the same time, I'm just so aware that, that I'm, I'm a product uh, in many ways, of my own culture. And so I've been just looking and thinking and, and wrestling with how to reconcile um, these two things. You know, um, one, of, uh, one of the great sort of like memories uh, and great opportunities I've had is, is I've actually been able to, to travel to, um, to Assisi. This is, just, um, this is just a shot that I took there in 2014, just walking, uh, walking up the hill. It's a beautiful little city. You can actually, this is actually just down from it a little bit. From this angle, I think if you look up towards my left, up towards your right, you've got the little city on the hill and it's just, it's just beautiful sort of like cobblestone streets and just, you know, you can have some, some pizza and you can sit in a courtyard and oh man, it's, a, it's, it's really is a, a beautiful uh, piece of history. And so this, this particular shot um, is taken on the walk just outside the city down to a little chapel called uh, San Damiano. Um, now, uh, to tell you guys just a little bit about St. Francis, um, just so we can have a little bit of, 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 of an idea before we get into this. St. Francis lived uh, in the 12th century, he was born uh, in 1182, died in 1226. Um, and he, he originally was, he grew up in a really wealthy family. His dad was a fabric uh, trader, um, so incredibly wealthy in those times. And, and Francis himself was a soldier in the Crusades. Um, and what happened during that time is, is at one point he was taken captive and, and, and during his captivity he got sick and his dad actually played a role in kind of getting him released a little bit and so he ended up costing his dad a bit of money and then after that time uh, he actually spent two years basically almost in solitude just, just recovering um, from his illness um, and during that time there was the, we sort of see the beginning of this, of this turn of, of him beginning to basically look at his life he was something of a, a frivolous party animal for like lack of better words, you know, he, uh, we start to see this, this slow shift begin to take place in his life. And then what happens uh, one day is he goes down, to, down the hill towards this old chapel that was basically forsaken. It had broken down. All the walls were sort of fallen in. 
And um, he goes in there, and there is an icon of Jesus hanging on the wall. Um, I took this photo in the San Damiano Chapel. This is, uh, this is a replica. It's not the original one. Um, the, uh, the original one is, is actually hanging in, in one of the other churches in Assisi now, but, but this, is the, this is just a replica. And so he's down in this, in this, in this sort of broken-down chapel, and he has this mystical experience with the icon of Christ, where Christ turns to him and says, I want you to rebuild my church. I want you to rebuild the building. And Francis takes this really literally. Like, you want me to rebuild San Damiano, this, this chapel that I'm in. And uh, so he does like, you know, the most Christian thing possible. And he goes uh, to his dad's sort of storage house of fabrics and he takes two of the most expensive rolls he can find. Goes to a nearby town, by horseback, then sells uh, both, both rolls of cloth and the horse um, for as much money as he can. And he goes to, goes to try and pay uh, the local priest to say, hey, here's money that you can, that you can use to rebuild San Damiano. And the priest says, whoa, where'd you get this money from? And he said, hey, look, it's cool. I just sold some of my dad's stuff. And the priest was like, oh, that's, that looks like dirty money. And um, anyway, it ends up in this whole sort of family blowout. Um, but effectively what happens is, is Francis, ends up, his father gets incredibly angry at him and he ends up renouncing his own family. He says, no, you know what? I'm done with this. I actually don't need your money. I don't need this thing. Uh, as the story goes, he kind of strips naked in the middle of the street and says, I, even these things that you've given me, I don't need them. Um, I now only have my Father in heaven. This is the Father who I will rely on. And he, and he sort of walks off. And from there, he, he, he embraces a life of poverty. He lives with people on the street. Um, and basically, he, he, sort of, he sort of begs. And with the funds that he raises through sort of begging and other bits and pieces, he ends up slowly rebuilding San Damiano over time. Um, nowadays, uh, San Damiano is, uh, is where the Order of St. Clair, uh, where all the nuns live. Um, now and so St. Clair, uh, she she was one of the first sort of early converts to the Franciscan way, and uh, so Francis helped her set up the Order of St. Clair, and that's another beautiful story in, in and of itself uh, that we may be able to go into it sometime because um you know she's a really special person as well, and so he embraces this life of poverty and he ends up dedicating himself to rebuilding a whole bunch of chapels in neighboring valleys, and and then what's really interesting is he as he starts he he has this deep conviction about needing to tend to lepers um, to those who who are ill and sick. And actually he identifies this as being his, his major conversion experience. So for him, for Francis, the, the San Damiano thing, while that's really powerful and really meaningful and the start of something, for him his, his radical conversion comes when he, when, when he learns to embrace the leper. And so he sort of says that, that you know, I see them as, as, as these sort of, these ugly sort of vile people. I can't bring myself to to, to love them, to serve them. And he ends up sort of having this moment where he, he embraces a one and kisses them. And it's like in this moment, there's like this, this switch inside of me. And so from then on, like he, he goes and he, he nurses and he tends to the wounds and to the hurts of the lepers. And, and in those days, what would happen is lepers, uh, you know, this is just 800 years ago, but they would just be totally cast outside the city. They weren't allowed in Assisi. So they lived down in the valleys in old abandoned buildings and stuff like that. And he would go down, he would help rebuild these chapels, and he would often use them as spaces uh, where he could serve the lepers around um, in sort of neighboring towns. So, so really like phenomenal that he moves towards this and he discovers this whole thing in serving the other. 
Um, just a, a little by the, by the side, what we, what we begin to see in Francis as well is this really deep love of creation begin to emerge. And, and in 1979, he's named the patron, the patron saint of ecology uh, by John Paul II, um, just because of his incredibly deep love of nature. So we're talking about someone who had this sort of unfolding journey of falling more and more in love with, with, with the person of Christ and longing to imitate Jesus in every way that he could. And so, and so he does this through a few ways. And so as I've sort of, sort of uh, reflected once more on, uh, on the sort of life and the ministry of Francis, there are some things that come through uh, really strongly. The first is that Francis values uh, humility and humanity, and particularly in relation to Christ. Well, so while most of Western Christianity was concerned at that time with proving the divinity of Christ, Francis loved um, the story that the divine became human. He became, he, he became totally captivated that this God desired to be human. He was totally enthralled by that. Um, <clears throat> And this fundamentally shifted how he engaged with others and how he viewed them. He began to see and treat others as Jesus, literally taking Matthew 25, 35 to 40 to heart. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I, I was sick and you looked after me and I was in prison and you came to visit me. This is, this is what Francis begins to take to heart. It's like, I, I need to see and recognize Christ in every person that is hurting, that is broken, that is outcast, that is downtrodden. It's like, this has to be my MO. And so he becomes totally taken up with the, with the story of humanity. And so to him, this, um, he, he embraces this, he celebrates this, he moves towards this. And, and likewise, part of that was to embrace a, a posture of humility. So it's like, I, uh, I need, this, is, this is the point where I need to enter into. I need to, 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 treat, to let these people know that, that I am equal to them, that I don't consider myself better than them. And so there is this, this constant almost submission of just going, you know, here I am and I recognize you and I see you and I love you. You know, like there's this incredible embracing. And so we see that time and time again through the ministry of St. Francis. And then off that as well, um, we see the, we see the uh, incredible value that he places on simplicity and on poverty. So as I said, like, you know, he rejects his father's wealth. He rejects the status that that held within society. Um, he rejected um, any, any sort of notion that he was a veteran of war or any of the sort of the, the glamour or the glory that came with that. No, he rejected all of that. No, the, there was only one way, the simple way, the way of, of, of following Christ. Um, and he, he spoke uh, often about being married to lady poverty. And so what would happen is, is sort of prior to even the San Damiano experience, um, his friends would say, hey, like, you know, is there any, is there any lady on the horizon? You know, is there any, is someone you can marry? And he would say, he yeah, he, has, he had this whole thing around, no, I think I'm meant to be marrying a fairer bride. And when he was talking about was that, it was like, you know, I, th I think I'm supposed to be marrying Lady Poverty. And so this becomes uh, a really important part of his to, to embrace poverty, to embrace nothingness, to, to, to be willing to let go of his attachment to the things of the world. Um, uh, the, the other thing we see come through really powerfully is that, um, is that uh, Francis advocated for for peace in all circumstances, to him it was he saw God as being a non-violent God, and um, and he became he became a fierce critic 
of corruption or of uh, power systems that dominated or oppressed others. Um, and so he became a voice for the voiceless. Um, he looked to speak to the powers that be. Um, some of his trips that he made even to, uh, to, to Rome to talk to the Pope, you know, he was pretty, he was pretty bold in the way he challenged them on some things. And, and most notably uh, is that during the Fifth Crusade, he ended up traveling to Egypt, which was an incredibly dangerous thing for a Christian to do while Christians and Muslims were at war over the Holy Land. Um, and he ends up going to Egypt and he ends up spending a few weeks with the Sultan. Um, <clears throat> And, and he ends up coming away and he's, he, he leaves with a gift after developing this friendship with the sultan. And he, he leaves with a gift, this sort of um, this horn that is actually still in Assisi to this day. Um, and then what's really interesting is that, is that whatever, there's no sort of like record of what sort of took place in those conversations. But it basically paved the way for some, for some stuff way down the line. So um, eventually, uh, after his death, after the fall of that sort of Crusader Kingdom initiative, um, it would be the Franciscans of all Catholics who would be allowed to stay in the Holy Land and be recognized as custodians of the Holy Land on behalf of the Catholic Church. So it's the Franciscan um, uh, sort of monks and, and that order that get to stay and represent Christianity in the wake of these things. And so just goes to show that he had an incredible impact even on these other cultures um, because he, was in, he went to go and advocate uh, for peace. Um, and, and he was willing to challenge and say, hey, I actually don't think that this crusade, this thing that's going on is, is, is actually in any way in line with the thing that God is doing. So he had no problem challenging these things. <coughs> and, then, uh, and then this thing is that uh, Francis, I think, loved creation in the same way that uh, he loved Christ. Uh, Bonaventure, uh, who was an early Franciscan mystic, said this, um, <clears throat> As a human being, Christ has something in common with all creatures. With the stone, he shares existence. With plants, he shares life. With animals, he shares sensation. And with the angels, he uh, shares intelligence. And in saying this, Bonaventure is trying to give theological weight to the deep experience. Francis, who is, as far as we know, was the first recorded Christian to call animals and elements and even the forces of nature by familial names. And so, so Francis would use words like uh, sister or mother earth or brother wind. Sister Water and Brother Fire. There was this connection and this deep love that Francis had for creation, for the animals. He saw the vocation of humanity, <coughs> of, of humanity and, and of followers of Christ, of disciples, to, to tend to the garden, to love God's creation, to discover and recognize and affirm God in all of these things. And so he had this deep love for everything he saw around him. Every creature had this, had this sort of place and this role uh, in, in, this, in the created order. Maybe even spiders, you know? So Francis models this incredible love for creation. Uh, Richard War uh, goes on to say this, we cannot jump over this world or its woundedness and still try to love God. So we can't miss, we can't just get to God and not at first consider the world that we have around us and the world we live in. We must love God through, in, 
with and even because of this world. This is the message Christianity was supposed to initiate, proclaim, and encourage, and it was what Jesus modeled. <coughs> we were made to love and trust this world, to cultivate it and take care of it, as it says in Genesis 2.15. But for some sad reason, we preferred to emphasize the statement that comes in the previous chapter, which seems to say that we should dominate the earth. I wonder if this is not another shape of our original sin. God empties God's self into creation, and then we humans spend most of history creating systems to control and subdue that creation for our own purposes and profit, reversing the divine pattern. So like a real challenge there. Like we, we, we treat the world as something that, that we just take from. When what Francis saw was that loving this, this world, loving creation, loving the creatures within it, loving everything within it, every inhabitant of it, um, that was a way that we moved toward God, that we served God, that we loved God, it was, and discovered more of God and more of the kingdom in our midst. There was something uh, deeply profound about this. This kind of approach is why Francis is, is named as the patron saint of ecology. Of, of care for the planet, of care for all of creation. These are important things for us to be thinking about. And so here, here is where, I, here is where I, I just begin to enter my sort of like own personal, very many, like not, not too major conundrum that I, that I sort of need your help with because I think that these are important things. They're powerful things. They're things that I, that I deeply love. I love Francis's embracing of humility and, hum, and, and humanity. I love his embracing of simplicity and poverty. I think it's incredibly beautiful. I love that he's an advocate for peace and he's willing to critique um, uh, corruption and, 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 and broken systems. And I love that he loves creation. These are things that I long for. The struggle is, is that we live in 21st century New Zealand and uh, I love my life and I love the things I have and I love my friends and I love all these sorts of things. So I'm just wondering, like, how do we reconcile these things? You know? So yeah, this is where we enter into conversation. For you guys, when you think about embracing simplicity or maybe even embracing poverty or maybe even embodying the humility of Christ, what, do you, what are some ways you do that? Or like when you think about your own life, and then you think about some of these ideas. How do you reconcile them? How do you think, how do you think we can do those things? Any ideas? Yeah, oh, I love that. And that's, that's so simple, right? That's just a really easy little paradigm. Just thinking about buying less and giving more. What about some other things? What are some little things that, 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 that people are thinking about in, their, in the day-to-day -day embodying of their faith? Right on. Yeah. So what you're talking about there is like, it's not just, it's not just like, oh, I want a new pair of shoes. I'm going to go grab them. But man, where are my shoes coming from? Who's making them? Some of those sorts of things. Yeah. And where do you go to find that kind of information? And you feel like when you're considering the way you buy, that's actually a way of like connecting with the kingdom of God and the story of God a little bit. I love that as well, being able to have grace for yourself and even being able to have conversations with other people where you can let people into that mix. So it's like, I love what you say. It's like, man, sometimes we do things because we need them to make us feel better when in reality, the thing that will make us feel better is our relationships around us and the things that are going on. So I love that. And in case you guys aren't quite get what's going on, I'm, we're looking for like 
like our the, the little like actions that are embodiments of our faith and, and looking to to speak to the narratives that inform us. Um, Jenny, can I call you out for a second? Yeah? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, no plastics in your house, right? You're trying? Yeah? Yeah. What, what informed that? Disappointing. <laughs> no, but even being able to tell that story, right? One of the wonderful things about Facebook is we can share the things that are going on, right? Being able to say that we're just trying it, you know? And that's a way of like caring for and loving our creation. What else? What else are people doing? How else are they embodying simplicity and beauty and celebrating creation and the things that they do? Yeah, Sandy. Oh, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah, and just that whole thing of like, I am not this. So even though it's like I have my new shoes, they're not me. They don't make me Calvin. They don't make me more Calvin, you know? But actually like, no, who I am is like in Christ. And Yeah, yeah, I love that. Hold things loosely. What else? Are there other hands? Aya oh, Tori. Yeah. Yes, love it. I got to practice that one. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's so good. Look, like, like here's the thing. Like, the the reality is, is, is we live in like a really, a really tricky like cultural moment. You know, there are all kinds of all kinds of things shifting. There are things uh, shifting socially. Uh, there are things shifting theologically. The the role of church in the wider world is, is changing. You know, like we're, we're looking at the story of Francis when, when, when the church literally had the most influential voice possible over governing bodies. Like, like if, if the Pope said something, um, the powers that be were going to do it. And we're, we're existing in a time where there is this ongoing struggle where it's like, oh, we don't even want the church's voice in the mix. So it's like there are, there are these, all these kinds of shifts happening. We, we, we just live and participate in particular systems. We're getting marketed certain things. Everything's just kind of different. And so all of us are on this journey of figuring out what does it look like to uh, embody the gospel story, to move towards Jesus, um, and, and to find ways of, of bringing that story into, into the things that we do every single day. You know, um, there's a lot of people that would say St. Francis is the person who has come closest to imitating the life of Christ. There are, there are a lot of, of writers and, and academics through, of, of church history who would say, uh, you know, we don't think we can find anyone who's come closest. So it's like uh, he's a fascinating uh, a person to look at um, and to learn from. And so, um, but the other thing is, is that when we look at his story and you look at his life, it was dynamic and he was always learning. It wasn't like he had this turn on a dime moment and, and then he just, he just was this, this sort of, you know, ideal Jesus imitator. No, you see his thinking shift and change and, and grow and he's, he's, he was constantly growing in God and towards the things of God um, in, a, in an incredibly beautiful and dynamic way. Um, Francis was fully at home, though, in the created world. He saw all things in the visible world as endless, dynamic, and operative symbols of the real, a theater and a training ground for a heaven that is already available to us in small doses in this life. <coughs> so there is this idea that Richard Ross says, he says, what you choose now, you shall have later, seems to be the realization of the Franciscan saints. 
Not an idyllic hope for a later heaven, but a living experience right now. And so we, when we find ways of, of moving towards um, some of these things, when we find ways of embodying them and carrying them in our stories, even in the most little ways, when we find ways of applying them to our own context, we begin to discover and unlock and, and participate in the kingdom happening around us. So I wonder just as we draw to a close, I'd love to, I'd love to pray for you and I'd love to invite you to stand. Um, I've actually got a, a, a prayer here written by Mirabai Starr, who is part of the Franciscan Order. Um, and it is a prayer, uh, it's a prayer for creation and for, uh, for us to carry a bit of an awareness. So just close your eyes and, uh, and, and listen to these, these words as I pray them uh, for you and over you. Dear God, you created the world to serve our needs and to lead us to you. Through our own unconsciousness, we have lost the beautiful relationship we once had with the rest of creation. Help us to see that by restoring our relationship with you, we will also renew our connection with all your creation. Give us the grace to see all animals as gifts from you and to treat them with respect, for they are your creation. We pray for all animals who are suffering as a result of our neglect. May the order you originally established be once again restored to the whole world. Help us to love without measure, without judgment, and without compromise. Help us to recognize you in the other. Amen. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast. Thank you.